Fam. Welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman. Back today, joined by another super interesting and inspiring guest, Gediminus Grinius, the Lithuanian legend, joins today to go deep on his life and career. For those who don't know, Gediminus has been one of the best long course ultra runners in the world over the past decade. His results are amazing and speak for themselves. A podium performer at UTMB, UTMF, Trans Grand Canaria, Wasatch, two top tens at Western States, and so many other amazing achievements, including actually also winning the Ultra Trail World Tour back in 2016, effectively crowning him the long course world champion that year. The dude is a stud, and it's a remarkable story too, considering how far Gediminas had come. As you'll hear, he came into running late in his life after a long military career for the Lithuanian Armed Forces, including two deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan. We talk a lot about his military service in this episode, the process of returning to real life after such an experience, how running helped him find himself and process some PTSD that he was experiencing and generally how running helped him navigate a really tough period of his life. And then, of course, we transition and talk a bunch about his career, his early inspirations, rising to the highest echelon in the sport, dealing with injury, aging, and wrap up by talking about his third place finish at the Thailand by UTMB race at the end of 2022. We recorded this episode about a month ago. So you'll hear we start by talking about New Year's resolution and reflection stuff. Just want to timestamp that. It is a few weeks old, but either way, it's an honor to have Get Him In Us on the show. And I hope you enjoy the conversation. As usual, the Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the makers of the GS Tam, my signature shoe from the boutique startup footwear brand from Portland, Oregon. Speedland are the creators of the innovative removable carbon plate design. Everybody's doing carbon plates now, but not until Speedland came along do you have the removability. I don't think that had ever been done until now, and it's consistent across the entire product portfolio from the OG SLPDX to the forthcoming GS Tam. It's like having two totally different shoes in a single product. Put the plate in when you're running fast, doing your higher intensity interval training, or take it out when you want a softer, more cushioned ride. Pre-order is open now at runspeedland.com. Delivery is anticipated in March. And for a limited time, you can use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. Speaking of free trail, come join the Free Trail Pro community. Jump in the free trail Slack workspace where more than 500 like-minded trail people are ready to greet you and support you on your journey in the sport. If you need more formal coaching, we've got that too. Some amazing coaches in our free trail experts program ready to help you take your game to the next level. The great thing about using a free trail coach is that you also become a card carrying member of the free trail pro community. So not only do you have a great one-on-one experience with a highly competent coach, but you also have hundreds of friends in your new network who will cheer you on along the way. Find out more about both Free Trail Pro and Free Trail Experts at the link in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. Hope you enjoy the episode. Gadaminas, welcome to the podcast. Happy New Year. 
Happy New Year, Dylan. Happy to be here. You know, like first time I saw your launching podcast, I wanted to be here, but I was too shy to ask uh, for you, you know, to let me in. <laughs> so happy you invited me finally. Uh, yeah, well, it's a long time coming and we got a lot to talk about. How are you feeling about 2022? Are you having a moment of reflection? Are there any goals or resolutions as you look ahead towards 2023? Oh, like 22 uh, was amazing compared to 21. Uh, sometimes when now I do the public speaking, you know, and I'm uh, showing the people, you know, my achievements, like 21, it's totally empty, you know, for yeah. several reasons, pandemic, my surgery, you know, and some life changes. Uh, so 22 was like really generous to me. Came back um, to training, running, racing, you know, uh, traveling around the world, basically the stuff uh, which I like and why I left in 2020. So 22 is just, I cannot complain. It's just like awesome, awesome, awesome year. And uh, 23, I guess it will be even better. Yeah, excellent. Well, let's get around to talking about the trials and tribulations and adversity from 2021 yeah. and how you navigated that. But first, Let's go further back in your story. First, I'd love to hear just about your Lithuanian heritage. You know, of course, being from that sort of small, somewhat obscure European country, I'd just love to learn a little bit more about, you know, growing up there, the history of the place and, and really how being Lithuanian shapes who you are as a person. Um, actually, yeah, it's like a uh, kind of interesting because Lithuania is like, for those who doesn't know, it's like totally flat country, you know, we don't have mountains. So a lot of people are surprised when I'm saying they started to train on flat to run uh, great in the mountains. And yeah, I mean, uh, father, you know, like all back when I was a kid, uh, I've never liked running i don't know if it's like all the runners you know like had this gene you know for running from the beginning but i've never did and basically all my training which i did when i was a kid was just walking like around like three kilometers you know from my home you know to the school yeah uh, because i had a school much closer to me but my mom was like a teacher in that particular school so we kind of decided that i need to to go and like kind of hang out with them you know like be in the same school so so yeah so my sacrifice you know was like that they needed to walk like three kilometers to the school, three kilometers back, you know, and this is like my physical background. I was not like, if you look at my pictures when I was a kid, it is like uh, nothing uh, close to the athleticism, you know, I was like a little bit chubby, you know, a little bit fat, you know, and like I like to eat yeah, really traditional Lithuanian food, like potatoes, you know, because like <laughs> all our traditional food is like from the potatoes. Uh, it's Yeah, it's kind of, you know, it came from America, but it's stick with Lithuanian culture, you know, like, and it's easy to keep, you know, easy to cook, you know, so all our traditional dishes like that. Yeah, so I have nothing to do, you know, in my childhood with a sport and uh, suddenly I'm finishing the school and, uh, you know, like I'm thinking what to do in life and one of my friends says like okay i'm going to join military academy and i said okay what do you need to do for that you know and he said it's like three kilometers run you know like some exercises math and blah 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 and i started kind of think about that because in my family we, we have like this military heritage you know my grand grandpa was like a officer in the Lithuanian army uh we skipped the army times when we were occupied by soviets you know russia yeah and i was kind of uh, again, you know, like continuing traditions, you know, like I was about to continue traditions. And so I put all myself, you know, to prepare for this exam. And this is when 
was the time when I started to run, you know, and yeah. I hate it. Like, it just was like, you know, like push-ups, pull-ups, like it was not a big deal for me, but running was something like really terrifying, you know. Um, and yeah, so I kind of, you know, I entered Millet's Academy and my friend with whom uh, I supposed to to study there, he didn't, you know, it's kind of he uh, freaking out and he even didn't go, you know, to to, to to the academy to pass the exam. So, so yeah, so this is how I ended up in Millet's Academy and this is where basically my uh, training, uh, not only physical, but psychological one, yeah, yeah. Like kind of my psychological profile started to build up, you know. Did you go into the military because of your family heritage? And also you mentioned having grown up in the period of time where there was the Soviet occupation of much of Eastern Europe and living through the reestablishing of independence for your home country of Lithuania. Did that play into you enlisting in your, in your army? Actually, there was like, like few things, you know, the, this Heritage, yes, was one of the things, you know, the restoration of independence was another one. And my father was like kind of one of the uh, guys who signed the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, he was like a member of parliament. So definitely playing a big role, you know, in my uh, kind of uh, education. Uh, But as well, I was not like very focused kid, you know, when I grew up. And actually, when I decided that I want to do something in the life or to... Uh, go enjoy any universities all the exams were gone you know the last place where i could actually apply was the military academy so so i had a time to prepare for that so so it's kind of several things you know heritage father you know education in the family and after that like i was not the best student you know and i <laughs> i needed to do something so this is, was my last chance you know to do something yeah so this is played like that. Yeah. And yeah, then I was a kid, I grew, you know, in the times when the Soviet Union was still there, you know, because we got our independence just in 89. Yeah, and I was born in 79. So I spent like basically 10 years, you know, in the occupation, yeah, mm-hmm. which happened like for almost 50 years. And so definitely, you know, to protect the country and like uh, uh, to be ready not to be occupied again, you know, like I kind of uh, made the choice, you know, and yeah. I was there. So, officer you know in the military life for 20 years yeah and and yeah so i yeah. did a lot of kind of stuff you know i did two missions you know i did like special operation course you know and i think uh this is kind of prepare me like to become who i am right now you know? yeah so it's well, like you know I, I want to talk more about your specific experience because i think it plays a significant role in the person you are, like you just said, and and to the places that you've now arrived at in terms of your athletic career. And I think the audience would really love to learn a little bit more about the story. So eventually you served in Iraq and Afghanistan, if I'm not mistaken, both under the Lithuanian flag and for NATO. And when you were first deployed, I would love to understand the circumstances of your life at that time and what the psychological and emotional reaction was to arriving in a war zone for the first time you know like when you're young you know and you want like still to be a general you know and to proceed with your career they're like inevitable like it at least in our army you know you need to do emissions you know and i was like young because it was like 2006 2007 you know when i applied for a mission on my own and um 
Uh, and yeah, for me, like it, it sounded at first like, you know, like in the movies, you know, it was kind of a military tourism, you know, like going somewhere abroad, experiencing new things, you know. So I didn't think much, you know, was going to happen there. And then I remember the first uh, day we arrived to Adivania in Iraq, you know, like uh, uh, we served like uh, Americans, Slovaks, Polish guys, you know, the Moldovians and like a bunch of uh, like multinational like staff officers and like soldiers. We said like, oh, we had like a lot of attacks here and they mentioned some kind of a number, you know, I don't remember exactly, but we received like triple of that, you know, during my stay there. Um, and yeah, like seeing the numbers, you know, we stayed like basically in one kilometer and one kilometer camp and we received like 270 rockets, you know, and like around like 100 mines, you know, into our camp, like people died, you know, people were injured during the half a year. And, um, and yeah, so this kind of my military aventurism, tourism, you know, turn, uh, not exactly to what I expected it to be, you know, yeah. and, and obviously, yeah, so, so obviously, you know, like being young, like still having a wife and a kid, you know, now, uh, what does it mean, you know, having a kid? I had actually two, you know, because one was on the way, you know, and I was in Iraq and Ginter was giving birth to Danielus, you know, and wow. almost died, you know, like the same day or week, like earlier we experienced the attack, which lasts one hour, you know, we've been in the shelters, you know, and like, it was kind of like, you know, like super messy. So it plays um, really badly, you know, with my mind because you're kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. you're like adult and, and you see all these mines and you know like uh, flying from the sky you know and like you see people dying and you can imagine you know that maybe it will be you you know next time and then you're thinking about family you know with, which you left behind yeah exactly i was just saying with, with the family back at home that must weigh especially heavily on your yeah, mind exactly and i'd also yeah. love to hear you being a an officer in the army that i think means that you were in a leadership position what was your specialization in and what was your role within the ranks because i think one of the things that's comes with leadership especially in war is that people's lives are on your hands and did you feel that responsibility when you were in iraq yeah actually in iraq i was an intelligence officer i was analyst you know so i was not directly responsible, you know, for the casualties actually on both sides, you know, because I basically provided the information, analyzed information, you know, for the blue forces, which were doing uh, kinetic actions outside, you know, and as well, I was providing information, you know, to save uh, our forces. So, so I felt responsible, you know, and uh, I knew that my, if, like, information which I possess and which I collect and the briefings which we do, it uh, basically affects a lot of lives around me. So it was the additional stress which I put on myself, you know, and then, yeah, it was not easy. Yeah? So at that time, I was not walking directly, you know, with uh, uh, any like a platoon, you know, or squad, uh, but I was like uh, dealing with that indirectly. I felt like I cut you off a little bit as you were sharing some of the details of your deployment. So if there's anything else you want to share, of course, I don't expect you to share any of the uncomfortable details, but I think the audience would be curious to hear what the reality is like from somebody who has actually experienced being in that situation. You know, like, you know, I can tell, you know, what I felt, but it's not necessarily, you know, the picture, you know, the whole picture. Mm -hmm. uh, but for me, you know, like each day I was waking up, you know, and I 
was waiting when I'm going to sleep. And yeah? because it's like as the moment, you know, when I have like this like three, four hours of sleep when I felt okay, you know, because I still were able to sleep, you know, not all the guys, you know, on a mission can sleep, you know. Uh but this was my happy time, you know, like and another thing which I discovered, you know, um and during my deployment that running helps a lot, you know, because at first when I arrived, you know, I experienced these bad things, you know, I couldn't sleep and I felt like a little bit fragile you know and i thought like you know what the hell you know i have a free time i cannot sleep you know like so i'm totally destroyed because my mind you know going crazy you know i'm all the all the time tired and and kind of like i started to read you know what helps you know and the running or like some other endurance activity you know like rowing machine or whatever they said should help you know to uh, make a piece you know and to sleep better so this is how i started to run actually you know so in this base i was doing cycles you know like sometimes one sometimes two sometimes eight you know and i think at the end of my mission i did like 20 or something you know so so it was a big progress for me and this is how actually the running like like running came to my life yeah, yeah. uh so so yeah, it's not easy, you know, everyone like copes differently, but like for me, I don't know, the most tragic experience was that the guys whom I knew, you know, uh, and I spoke, you know, one day they were not there, uh, the other day, you know, so they were very gone because like something happened, you know, outside the camp, some of them were like just going out of the gym, you know, and the mine exploded, you know, and they were gone. So this is kind of affects you dramatically, you know, mm-hmm. and um yeah, yeah. And, and for me, you know, the solution for that was just, I don't know, like kind of like I tried to ignore the reality, you know, and running helped me, you know, to be in the happy place, you know, but when you're running around the camp and you see this like the uh, T walls, you know, covered like in blood, covered like in, you know, like uh, shrapnels, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of brings you back, back, you know, and it's like, now I can compete with the running, you know, like if everything goes well in the race, you know, you're running and you're kind of in the flow, you're happy, you don't know even how you reach, you know, one point uh, to another. But if you have some pain, you know, it doesn't matter, it's mental or physical. And back on a mission, it was more mental pain. You know, it always puts you on the ground, you know, like, and mm-hmm. uh, this is what basically um, um, was going on, you know, there. Yeah, you cannot relax, you know, you're running, yeah. you, you have uh, sounds, you know, some noises, even somebody just, you know, pushing the doors or slamming the doors like much harder, you know, louder, and you're on the ground, you know, like crawling, you know, to the shelter. So, so, so yeah, so. You know, it's like small details all the time, you know, remind me that uh, it's not holidays, it's not the militarism, you know, I can die, you know, I cannot uh, see my family anymore, you know, and like I saw all the gone friends, you know, and it kind of, you know, a little bit damaged me, uh, not a little bit, maybe a lot, you know, Yeah. and like to... Yeah, How did your family deal with it? How did your wife deal with uh, it at home with the two young kids having you overseas deployed in what was obviously a very dangerous situation? You know, like she, she dealt very well, you know, she didn't know what's going on because, you know, then we had a, a talk, you know, uh, you can imagine that I didn't tell her anything, you know, like I just was <laughs> yeah. smiling, saying every, everything is all right, you know, it's like, it's always, you know, like, mm. it's like, I think like all the men, you know, all the people do, do like that, you know, to protect the families because I didn't want to put additional stress. She already, you know, where were there. Uh, at first pregnant and then with a little baby so you know it uh it do any good you know like and she anyway cannot help me you know so the only solution and the only help i could just expect from myself 
And I don't know, even being young, you know, I didn't admit it, you know, to psychiatrists, psychologists, you know, or any friends around me, because I think at that time, at least I thought, you know, that it's kind of a weakness, you know, and I cannot speak about that. If I speak about that, probably my career will be over, you know, so, so these kind of thoughts I, I had, you know, and I don't think it anymore like this, but when you are young, you know, you're kind sure. of having uh, different ideas about the life, about career and, you know, how the world works. Yeah. So my family actually didn't know anything till I returned back home. Yeah. But when I returned home, they noticed that I'm not the same, you know, yeah. um, uh, more so, sensitive, so you know, more anxious, you know. Let's talk about this because I think the audience would really be interested to hear about your experience with PTSD and you have spoken openly about this now, um, even though you didn't necessarily feel comfortable doing this when you were younger, feeling that it was maybe a, a source of weakness. And you also mentioned that you didn't tell your wife the the scary situations that you were in while you were deployed in Iraq. And so upon returning home, it probably became evident to her and your sons that you weren't the same and that things weren't okay. So could you just tell us about the experience of returning home from deployment and the emotional experience of dealing with post-traumatic stress disorder? Yeah. So it's like, um, you know, it's, not related yet to PTSD, but like the strange thing when I, I came back home was that uh, my elder son, which was at the time more or less like three years old, he kind of refused me, you know, he jumped on the ginter and he said like, he was looking at me like a total stranger, you know? Uh-huh. Uh, so I this like struck me uh, because it was just like seven or eight months when I was out of the home, you know, and he didn't recognize me. Um, so it again, maybe like triggers something what I mean in the upcoming four to six months, you know, like uh, I often increase the voice, you know, and I often like say like not, very nice words to my wife, you know, and like uh, even, you know, like loud sounds like make me feel uncomfortable, you know, and and, uh, and yeah, and family, you know, they noticed, you know, that I was not like this before, you know, and now I'm kind of reacting or overreacting, you know, to the simple life situations, you know, where I shouldn't uh, react like that. Yeah. And um and yeah, so at first we were silent, but you know, then you are like, uh, after a few months, you see that the situation is not changing. So we started to talk a little bit about that. And um, and yeah, and uh, then I started to run, you know, I started to run more and more because like alone, at least I couldn't harm anyone, you know, mm-hmm. and so- somehow after each run, I became much calmer. So uh, my wife noticed the difference, you know, and she said, okay, like if she see that I'm in trouble, she said like, okay, let's put your shoes and go running, you know, mm-hmm. and after that, you'll bring the solution, you know, at least you'll be calmer. So this is how the running, like the second, like phase of running came to my life. Um, so, and uh, kids, I don't know, you know, like when they're young, you know, they don't speak, but the situation which I described at the beginning was basically what they felt, you know, they didn't feel that I'm their father, you know, it took like few months to break the ice, you know, and it's kind of a uh, super difficult for me because it's like, for me, it was strange, you know, I've never experienced it. And I thought like, you know, 
when you're leaving, you know, your wife and coming back, she still recognizes with you, her husband, you know, but the kids don't, you know, like, and it's like, it's very strange. Yeah. And my newborn baby, I saw him, you know, after, I don't remember exactly, maybe five years after, uh, five years, five months when he was born. So, uh, I don't know, you know, there is uh, some psychology behind that, you know, that yeah. parents needs to be together, but I was not there, you know. So I think like in the upcoming years, we have like some, uh, this like psychological, like, you know, like uh, born trauma, uh, which actually, you know, uh, was felt between us. Yeah. But, you know, time heals, you know, so everything finally turned yeah. well, you know, where like, beautiful family you know when they stand each other and maybe there is some you know like kind of the uh tension time to time between us and maybe it's related somehow but not directly anymore yeah, yeah. that's amazing and i think also just like so relatable for a lot of people i mean my I, my son now is almost five months and just like thinking about not really seeing him for the first part of his life is difficult to think about i'd love to hear a little bit more about I mean, you mentioned that you were maybe having difficulties with anger, raising your voice with your family, saying mean things to your wife. And that was probably born out of a feeling of just stress and anxiety, even though you had been removed from that stressful and anxious situation of being in a combat zone. And I think, you know, for me, trying to understand what it's like returning from war and the PTSD that's associated with that. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about like what the day-to-day feeling is like there psychologically. Is it just a, a matter of not being able to turn the anxiety off? And uh, like you mentioned with loud noises or slam doors, you're immediately thrown back into the memory of war or what's the the specific experience like going through that? So uh, I think, you know, now that uh, my case was not the worst, like there is one strange thing, you know, and I don't know if like everyone experienced that, but like maybe a lot of guys, it's kind of a, like, it's like Stockholm syndrome, but it's the like, opposite, you know, to, to just not because I was kidnapped, you know, but that I was in the worst zone and I experienced bad thing. But the strange things is that you want to return because back home you feel unnecessary you know do you feel like you are doing nothing you know that the job which you are doing it's not so important like the job which you are doing you know uh, on a mission you know overseas and this is super strange you know because you're kind of trying to avoid the same experiences you know like the, the bad experiences you know like these explosions you know like shootings you know dead people but at the same point you want to go back you know you want to go back and i don't know it's like kind of a psychological thing that you want to punish yourself but like Honestly, me, I felt like super unnecessary, you know, and like all the job which I did back home in a few months, it looked like for me, like meaningless, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is like kind of confused me, you know, and people around me. Uh, so, yeah. And, you know, like and besides that, of course, there is a side effects, you know, like during the sleep, you wake up because you, something triggers, you know, the, the memories, you know, like it's post- unconsciously and you're like all sweating, you know, or during the day, like I said, you know, like New Year was a bit terrible, you know, you know, because it's like a lot of, you know, the celebration fireworks and it's kind of mm. brings your memory, you know, your images, you know, back, you know, to the war zone. Uh, so. 
I don't know. So for me, it was like this, you know, I was super confused because I didn't want to go back, you know, but at the same point, I felt like that I'm doing nothing useful uh, back home and I wanted to return, you know, mm-hmm. and this is what happened actually in 2010, you know, when I went uh, to Afghanistan on my second mission. So say more about that. I mean, was that your attempt to feel worthwhile again or to feel useful again and did you experience similar traumatizing experiences over there in afghanistan it's actually did it like for two purposes you know like because like kind of again like to reject going on a mission is basically means that your career is over Uh uh-huh so so yeah so i was sent there and uh, i said okay i'll go there but in my mind as well like you know like it's like I tried to do or like to try to fight my old fears, you know, by doing it, you know, like I had like in the past, like the fear to speak, you know, like to do public speaking. Yeah. So I started to do public speaking. Yeah. I didn't like running and I started to do running, you know, like, so like my mind works like this, you know, if I have some fear, you know, I need to do it and to overcome it. You know, I never like to, uh, to, to to see how it's called like this hide phobia or whatever you know so i've never were a big fan to jump with parachutes you know like so i did like night jumps you know uh because i i feel that you know the something you fear you know you need to go there to fight it you know to adapt it yeah so with uh, my first mission which was kind of a really uh depressing sad you know and i gave me hard times uh, i fought in the same way yeah i need to go there and experience something different you know to rewrite my uh, data you know in my brain you know uh mm-hmm. and actually this is what happened you know like so 2010 was kind of more successful mission because i don't know if i had a more experience you know uh i didn't experience so many attacks when in 2007 maybe it was contributing factor as well uh so it was actually it like lay out much better yeah so 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 yeah and i came back home you know not so traumatized you know like no ptsd you know i just did it you know the only uh bad thing that i was like really missing my family you know it's kind of you know like second year when i'm not at home you know and of course the kids are a little bit uh uh, more grown up, you know, and they recognized me on the return. Uh, so it was like kind of second mission was like kind of okay, you know, and like I I fight my demons, you know, I kind of once again prove myself that you can do right there, uh, your fears, mm. uh, and build up the confidence once again, you know, you can heal uh, by doing that. Yeah, and I did it. Yeah, wow. uh, but again, yeah. But then again, like in uh, 2014 or 13, when I was serving with uh, NATO forces already in the Chechen in Poland, like uh, they want me to be sent, you know, again in Afghanistan to Afghanistan for a third time. And that time I said, no, like I said, like, if you're sending me, like, I'm like giving up, you know, I'm like quitting. Yeah. yeah. So luckily, yeah. So luckily wow. I was not, you know, on the list, you know, like, and just, like, but it was not because they didn't send me because it was just some uh, lucky accident, you know, which saved me from going yeah. there at that time or like quitting military at that time. And then your running career took off. So I want to get around to this transition because I think it'll be really interesting to hear about. But 
Before we get to it, I feel compelled to ask, of course, you live in Eastern Europe and there's a war happening in Eastern Europe right now. What is the experience like living so close to Kiev and to Ukraine at the moment right now? And does it bring back some of these ugly memories for you? Um, it doesn't bring, honestly, it doesn't bring, you know, like, and uh, there is, a, of course, the fear, you know, there is uh, a preparation, you know, by military, you know, and especially the neighboring countries, you know, and where one of them, you know, who has the borders. Uh, but um, first of all, it's kind of a different war, right? And yeah. uh, it's more brutal, it's more conventional. And if it will break, you know, to the regions of NATO, you know, so it's not only Lithuania, it's like basically all the bloc will be involved. And uh, I think uh, there is some like, you know, like, of course, it's a sad moment, you know, and I'm like really in support, you know, of the Ukrainian people, you know, and like, uh, um, uh, kind of, you know, even like admire what we're doing, how we're fighting. Uh, but there is a good thing, you know, for all the neighboring countries that we kind of woke up, you know, and like we kind of see that we cannot rely, you know, on like other countries, you know, like we need to be ready ourselves, you know. So so this is kind of a good thing, you know, for us, you know. Um, uh, but, you know, like at the same time, like I'm like kind of, having this mixed feelings and I'm like really feeling bad about both sides, you know, because like mm -hmm. people are die, dying, you know, on both sides, you know, and usually in the wars, the, the people who caused the wars, you know, usually they're not punished, you know, so the mm -hmm. young, young people, you know, the recruits, you know, on the Russian army, you know, and the people on the Ukrainian side, you know, they're dying, you know, and the oh. leadership, they're not, you know, and I don't know how the world will unfold here. Uh, but like, if you look at the all the big wars which happen, you know, like the the leaders, you know, and the people who caused the war, usually they, they just, you mm -hmm. know, they were they were okay, you know, but people around them they died, you know. So, so yeah, so it's not easy, you know, like, uh, but a lot of preparation going on here, you know, and they're around the countries, you know, and and yeah, so yeah, it's kind of I I like personally, me, I don't feel that like huge threat you know like and uh but but maybe i'm i'm wrong you know sometimes right. you know like we're not the the wisest person yeah to, yeah to, to speak about that yeah um, sure yeah and i'm not expecting you to, to solve the war right now but thanks for sharing your perspective the Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Best Day Brewing, the non-alcoholic option I will be reaching for during dry January and the rest of 2023. If you're like me, you love a cold beer with friends after a long run or after a hard day at work. And if you're also like me, you realize that alcohol, even in small quantities, takes a toll on your physical and psychological energy and that taking a break can help take your game to the next level. I am convinced that my six weeks off the booze before Hard Rock and 2021 was a big reason why I felt so good during that training block and so good on race day. And I just discovered Best Day Brewing while I was at my cousin's wedding in Sacramento. And it, it has become my favorite non-alcoholic beer and it is brewed for doers like you and me. Finally, a full flavor, full body, full aroma craft beer without the alcohol to slow us down. I know you guys are gonna love this product, so I wanted to challenge you 
the thousands of free trail listeners out there join me for dry january abstaining from alcohol for the first month of the year to start 2023 on the right foot together i've been doing dry january for almost a decade and best day will be my go-to beverage after a hard training session when i'm out socializing or chilling at home with my wife my favorite best day is the west coast ipa but they also make a kolsch and a hazy ipa which are equally delicious and refreshing check them out at bestdaybrewing.com use code dry20 for 20 percent off you can also use dry ship for free shipping and go follow them on instagram at bestdaybrewing america's next big beer company i am convinced Stay dry, stay happy with me this January. Tag me in your best day Instagram stories and I will be sure to reshare. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, the first brand to ever believe in free trail. So if you are surprised and happy that we still exist, well, we are too. And much of that is thanks to Gnarly Nutrition. Gnarly has a ridiculously robust offering of products to power your training and recovery. And today I want to tell you about the Gnarly Protein Products to augment and improve your post-run routine and to help kickstart your recovery for the next training session. Gnarly Vegan and Gnarly Whey provide two high quality options for omnivorous and plant-based athletes alike. One of the great things I did in 2022 was start having a recovery shake after hard workouts and long runs, something that's nutrition 101 and certainly not rocket science, but even old dogs can learn new tricks, including myself. I started having a protein shake, mixing gnarly whey with almond milk immediately after hard training sessions and definitely noticed an improvement in my recovery. Combine that with the BCAAs before exercise exercise and you are living the high performance nutrition lifestyle. Check out Gnarly at gonarly.com. Use code freetrail15 for 15% off your order. Gonarly.com. Use code freetrail15. Back to the show. So moving back to your running career and the end of your military career, those two things sort of like seem to coincide, you know, when you refused to go back to Afghanistan, I think you said that was around 2013 or 2014, that would seem to be around the time that you'd started taking trail running very seriously and you established yourself as one of the best in the world. Can you take us into that moment and share any memories from it? Yeah. So, you know, like basically running came into my life, you know, like a doctor, like a remedy, you know, uh, to solve the dizzy problem. Uh, but the more, I, and I started like my career, you know, on the road, you know, like uh, I was hooked, you know, to to run marathons, you know, and like, um, I think like 2012, um, I established myself a goal, like kind of, kind of being still in the military, you know, in the same situation, like in Poland. Uh, but I wanted to break the Lithuanian 100k record, you know, which was not touched for 25 years. Yeah? And that year, 2012, you know, I did it, you know, I think uh, by 20 minutes, you know, it's nothing impressive, you know, uh, because we, at that time, at least we were not like a running country. Now we have a good runners, but at that time we were not, you know, so I did it like, I think like seven hours, seven minutes, you know, on the road, but it's yeah. like 50 loops, two kilometers, you know. And this is kind of end my road career and started the trail running career. Yeah, because uh, at that time I moved to Poland. Yeah, because and the Poland kind of has the mountains, but the place where I stayed, I stayed close to the seaside. You know, and it's still the same situation like in Lithuania, no mountains, like seven meters uh, hills. You know, the maximum which you can get. Uh, but we had a lot of races. Yeah, so 
So I decided to give a try, you know, and I did like few kind of famous races in the Poland and I finished, I think like fifth or third. And I said, okay, like it goes much better than on the roads, you know? So I said, okay, I, I probably, I need to put uh, more effort and to see, you know, where I can end up, you know, and this is how I started to run basically. And my first international race, I think was the Lavaredo in 2014, where I run like still, you know, with uh, guys like Anton Kropichka, Mike Foots and, and, and yeah, in this first race, you know, like, because I was reading about them in magazines, you know, like they were like kind of, you know, like on the, yeah. all the magazines in 2014 and I said, okay, like I'll need to try, you know, and I, and like this specific race is kind of interesting, you know, because I wrote to Christina, you know, and I said, okay, I'm a runner from the Fene. Can you give me an entry? Because I'm kind of didn't know the rules when you need to apply. And I said, hey, yes. Okay. Like you are like fastest in your country and 100K, I'll give you the, the, the chance, you know? So I came there. And I started to run and I'm kind of leading the race, you know, and I said, no, what's wrong with these guys? What I'm doing, <laughs> not right, you know, why they're like back, you know, like, because we are so fast, you know. And of course, like after like 30K or 40K, you know, like uh, my wheels uh, started to fall out, you know, and Anton passed me, you know, Mike passed, like, and other guys passed, you know, it dropped like to 10 or something. And I said, okay, I need like to put all the shit together, you know, and try to catch him. So I, I managed to finish third, you know, after these two guys about whom I read in magazines, you know, I was super happy, you know, yeah, like I just, I just pulled up the result. I just pulled up the result. So for the audience, we're going to, again, talking about the 2014 Lavaredo where Anton Krupichka finished first, Mike Foote finished second, two American legends, and then the great get him in Iskrinius, fresh off his retirement from the Lithuanian armed forces takes home third place. So was that, was that a pivotal moment for you where you sort of established your move from the roads to the trails and started chasing it? Because ultimately fast forwarding to 2016, only a couple of years later, you won the ultra trail world tour, which is effectively crowning you at least a long distance world champion for the season of 2016. What was that experience like for you? And also, like, was there some reflection as to how far you had come in this new chapter of your life after military service? Yeah, actually, I didn't quit the military till 2018. I was mm -hmm. still in military, you know, in, in 2014 and like for upcoming uh, four years. So this was a hard time to manage the, my family life, to manage the military life and to be a runner and i i was not sure you know which road to choose you know like uh, to stay in the military and to pursue my military career or like to become a runner you know or coach uh, like i am right now uh but actually these doubts were clear, uh, cleared you know by my wife you know she said like do whatever you want you know what's close to your heart you know and this is how i chose you know the runner's path so and i noticed you know that from 2014 after exactly after this race i started to thinking to do better you know i didn't think about it like a remedy anymore i didn't think about it like to solve my mental problems i started to think like athlete you know i wanted to achieve better results you know to get the better places you know uh, but still uh to run uh all these uh uh trail races with a passion you know like not only uh grinding you know because i think this is why 
a lot of guys like Anton and Aves, we are not running anymore because we put too much pressure on themselves. We run too many miles, you know, uh, they walk too hard, you know, and their bodies or like minds, you know, just couldn't keep with that. Yeah? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah. So to, after 2014, I noticed that, uh, and, and it's like kind of uh, uh, strange because after this Lavaredo race, the Ultra 2 was established. I think it's exactly that year when the Ultra mm-hmm. 2 was established. And I started to kind of flirt, you know, with Marie at that time. And I said like, okay, can you put me on UTMB? You know, so after Lavaredo, I did the UTMB. And another race I did was Grand Rate Reunion, you know? Yep. So it's like kind of, kind of, you know, my first year in ultra running and I did like three ultra races in like four months or whatever, like five months, you know? I finished like fifth at UTMB uh, just, behind Jason Schlarp and I don't remember who were like the first three guys. Yeah. And the, yeah. And I finished like fourth in reunion, you know, uh just losing to Aurelian Colette on the last downhill, like 10 seconds, I think, for the third place. <laughs> so so it was like brutal, but at the same time I said, okay, I can run. You know, I have something in me, you know, which like pushed me, you know, like through tough moments. You know, definitely I'm not the best physical build, you know, and this is why Red Bull didn't hire me later, <laughs> later <laughs> in 2016, because after all these testings, you know, I just failed them. Yeah, but I had something, you know, maybe it's yeah. mine, maybe it's my in my experience, you know, in the military, what kind of uh, let me push, you know, through the tough moments and to compete, you know, with guys who are much uh, better physically built and have, you know, much better VO2 or like lactate fresco or whatever it is, you know, or strength. I wanted to ask you about that too. Get a minute, because you've been remarkably consistent throughout your career. And I wondered what you attribute that to, if it is like a psychological thing or if it comes from your experience being in the military and putting yourself through challenging training and challenging situations. What do you attribute your consistency to? Um, I cannot say that I am the wisest runner, yeah, because like I do maybe too much racing you know maybe i'm not like uh doing big volumes in the training but i am like racing a lot you know through through the year you know and tackling a lot of races uh but i think i'm taking good care about my body you know mm-hmm. and the more years i have you know the more things i need to do you know to let my body and my mind to drive me you know and to to, to do all these races with the same consistency you know but i, I i'm trying even like prior our podcast you know i just finished my gym session you know and i think like the gym contributes a lot uh to what i do because i think it's the most neglected part of the runners especially the new runners yeah because like the runners think that we need just to run you know and of course it's maybe goes in the opposite direction of jason coop you know who says like okay like you can do gym if you like to do gym but i actually believe that this kind of protects me you know it's basically makes me injury free you know Mm -hmm. and i do a lot of gym you know like and not having mountains like my substitute it was just you know like jumping on the box climbing on the box kind of uh, mimicking the the motion and so i think that the gym is one of the things another thing is that i started running very late in my in my career yeah so i'm kind of uh i don't know i think like uh 
I prepared my body well uh, to tackle all these kilometers because I think uh, like now like I'm doing coaching and I see a lot of people they want to like a lot of miles you know and too fast and they're like not ready even to run like three kilometers because we don't have athleticism you know because I think like if you want to do ultras at first you need to become a good athlete yeah and later just to become a good runner yeah uh because the body you know and especially the mind should be ready for that and for the young generation you know for all these young runners for whom i'm racing right now being like 43 or 42 whatever my age is uh so you know uh you know my wish is that uh they won't do it like you know like so many races like i do you know because we look at the people like me who are racing a lot and if they think that we can do the same you know but the young mind is like totally different than the older mind you know and you need experience for that you know mm-hmm. you need to time to prepare yourself like a runner because otherwise you know i'll be still running and the young people will be gone again you know so yeah and i recently yeah i recently actually had the chat with scott hawker you know and because he's the guy who whom i think i started to run and we're still running you know and a lot of guys with whom we run like in 2014 they are not there anymore you know mm-hmm. for, i don't know like for the mysterious disease like adrenaline fatigue whatever it's you know like office for some injuries you know or some other like family reasons you know like and like uh, motivational reasons yeah so and you are the one as well like because i remember like i remember actually the first encounter with you on western state course you know you didn't have the best day you know in 2015 <laughs> i guess yeah, yeah. And this is the first time yeah so you're running kind of you know for a long period of time as well you know so you're yeah. kind of pretty consistent as well yeah? so so i think what drives us and what you know makes us uh runners uh who can run for such a long period of time is kind of a similar things you know yeah we just uh we just and, and i want to do it you know like then i'm speaking about my coach you know like uh, i'm saying and like always trying to stress that i don't want to win like the races like i want to just to run a happy you know injury free for yeah. like additional or upcoming like 20 years you know and these victories you know they're, they're coming anyway you know if you're doing yeah. that because consistency is like a factor which basically contributes you know to success yeah so talk a little bit more about that evolution and specifically maybe about the process of aging you mentioned that you're in your 40s now but you're still competing at a very high level and it sounds like maybe your psychology has changed a little bit wanting to just go out and enjoy it rather than necessarily go out and win races anymore. How have you dealt with the process of aging? And I think especially as it relates to your competitive athletic career, because this is something that I think about quite a lot myself about different ways that I can maintain the love of the sport, number one, but also how I can maintain competitiveness over time. Uh, I think, you know, like maybe the passion which we have, you know, like maybe it's like a very like, you know, like the uh, beautiful world, just passion, but it's just, I don't know. I just like to be in the mountains. I, I like to be with myself, you know, and like, I think always, you know, like 
when even when I'm training, you know, I try to enjoy. I'm not thinking about the races, you know, or how well I'm going to do in particular races. Of course, I like to do well in the races, you know, and I have this like sparking me, you know, when on the finish line, uh, on the start line, you know, like I'm like totally into the race. I like to compete. I like the vibes, you know, which everyone is spreading. But like, honestly, I think like, I still can compete for coming like eight years, you know, maybe a lot of people can laugh from that, but I think like even like in the our day sport, when the younger people are coming, you know, with a better physical build, you know, of course not in the 50K, you know, not 30K, but like in the long uh, distance, like 100 miles, you know, or even longer races, you can do it like uh, easily. And I think with age, you just increase the distance, you know, and you still experience the same vibes, you know, the same victories, the same win. So yeah. I think like, uh, you know, you, you need just to keep this love uh, for the sport, you know, or love for the running itself, you know, because this is like actually was the case for me in 2021. I went like or 20 in 20, I think. I went to Madeira, you know, it was like pandemic year. So we packed everything and my family we went to Madeira for four months. Yeah? And uh, because I was preparing for Patagonia run in Argentina, and I said, okay, it's Madeira is beautiful, you know, it's, uh, I can train there, you know, there is no restrictions. We have the mountains. And, um, but I started to feel fatigue, you know, and started kind of be upset with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. I started like just grinding, you know, I'm going into training, I'm implementing the training, but I have no joy. Yeah. Yeah. I noticed that, that, but I was not brave enough to to stop, you know. So I kind of got all the signals from my body and mind that something is wrong with me, that I need probably a good rest, you know, because maybe I'm tired or fatigue or whatever it is. But I didn't stop, you know. I started I I, I still kept pushing, you know, grinding each and every day. And when my injury happened, you know, yeah. and it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of a, a strange, you know, uh, because I think is this is like a, the best what illustrates, you know, mind and body connection, you know, uh, you're not happy. You're not brave enough to stop. OK, so body and mind will find a way to stop, you know, and I so actually did. That's so yeah. true, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And it's kind of a curse, you know because I kind of broke my meniscus into pieces, you know, it's like radial and horizontal uh, tear. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I had a one year to rethink everything, to rebuild my body and to rebuild my confidence. And I think to rebuild the confidence is the most important thing, you know, in that because body is easy, you know, like you're like just doing particular exercises, you're like a discipline, you know, motivated and you can do it. Yeah. But with my mind is more difficult. Yeah. But what happened, you know, my passion, you know, and my love for running return, you know, and 2022 was a good example of that, you know, and again, I had like a, Great victories, great races, great trainings, you know, like a lot of fun in the mountains, you know, and I'm still like, you know, when I think of mountains, I'm shaking, you know, it's like to drink a coffee in the morning, you know, I feel the same, you know, I'm fresh. So this is what I'm thinking that, you know, like this, like 2020, 2021, when I was like coming back from injury, it's kind of, I don't know, like made me the Phoenix who raised from ashes again, you know, and who is enjoying what he's doing, you know, so I think... Like these bad moments doesn't happen, you know, accidentally, you know, yeah. everything has a purpose and meaning in, in lives, you know. Yeah. And I think this is contributes as well, because I'm trying to answer to your question. And this is kind of 
contributes, you know, to continuity and consistency, which I have in my training and racing. Yeah? Good, good. So then fast forwarding to just a couple of weeks ago, as you're emerging into this new re-energized get a minus Grinius, uh, you finished third place at the Doi Inathon hundred miler, the Thailand by UTMB Asian major on the UTMB world series, another fantastic podium finish for you. Another trademark get a minus consistent, you know, sort of a high performance, uh, result for your resume. How did, uh, how did it feel to be back on the podium at a big international hundred mile race? And did it confirm to you that the trials and tribulations of 2021 were behind you? Uh, yes, it's actually reassured me, you know, that I still can run at the high level, you know, and it's kind of a, you know, this race has a, a lot of like mixed feelings as well, you know, because I felt like super great, you know, doing my training blog because I stay in Thailand for one month, you know, I have amazing like three weeks of training. I did the uh, trail running camps with people over there and I feel amazing. But like one week before the, Actually, everything started in India, you know, uh, because like I did one race in Seoul, like in October, I won that race, you know, and like uh, as I'm traveling a lot, you know, and I haven't been at home from May, we decided with my wife to visit our friends in India, you know, and to to have some time together there. Yeah. So I went there, we spent like three awesome weeks, you know, and on the almost the last day of our stay, I decided to go and run one trail. And um, yeah, and India is kind of a diverse, very diverse country. So the trails are the same, you know, and suddenly, you know, I'm running this trail and trail ends, you know, and I said, okay, I still, you know, like the trail runners mentality, I need to reach that peak, which I have in my mind. Yeah, so yeah. I'm kind of bushwagging, you know, there, like, and I'm reaching that peak, but it's already too late, you know, and it's dark and I have just my mobile phone, you know. Uh, so I started to run with this like mobile phone light, you know, and almost at the bottom, you know, I sprained my ankle like super badly, you know? <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, so, like, I think it's, I'm not the first runner who is doing that. Yeah. And, and uh, ending up like this, you know, and of course, like for my athletes and him all the time, take the lamps, you know, and I didn't take one. Yeah. Yeah. So I sprained his ankle. Yeah. So I sprained his ankle, you know, and I'm going to, to Thailand and, uh, I'm training and what happens that I'm compensating a lot of my Pyrenees. Yeah. And one week before the Thailand race, like it breaks totally, you know, like I, I, I run 5k and like, I felt like sharp pain and I walked back like 5k and like, I'm having one week to, to the race and I'm thinking what to do, you know? So, okay. Like, uh, at least for me, the best therapy is like shockwave therapy and needles, you know? And yeah. like, luckily in Chiang Mai, they have a good place, you know, the, 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 the one, the thing which they're using, Neymar use the same, you know, so it's kind of good. And I'm doing these treatments, you know, and I'm not sure if I'm going to start in the race yeah, because I just cannot run, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to run 1K, you know, walking back home, you know, like, okay, so I do bicycle. It's okay. You know, I walk backwards on treadmill. It's okay. Running, no way. Yeah. yeah. So like two, I think like two days before the race, I'm going to Scotty Hawker to run and I'm managing to do one hour. And I said, okay, like maybe because my coach, you know, my doctor said, don't run, you know, it makes no sense to run. But, you know, I have experience from Grand Slam in US when I run my second Western state with a calf strain from Rob uh, Robinson Flat. 
and yeah. I manage it. And I said, I said, okay, like I'll try, you know, and it goes how it goes, you know. So in Thailand race, I'm running like I'm starting very conservatively, you know, like I'm starting very conservatively. Like I'm happy with my feelings. The Pyrenees barking at me, but it's manageable, you know. And I'm tra- I'm starting to overcome the guys, and it's like my first race in 2014. I'm thinking, why they're running so so slow? You know what we're expecting here? You know, like I don't know what game they're playing, but I'm feeling really good. You know, yeah. so I'm passing the guys, passing the guys, and I'm feeling super great and happy till kilometer 90. And when Pyrenees says, "Okay, get a bonus, you're done," you know. Yeah. So, so yeah. So yeah, and from kilometer 90, I basically didn't run much uphill I, I could run downhills i could run like flat yeah. uphill it was a problem and usually my yeah i was i was following you know, on your on your instagram and it was it seemed like yeah your calf was bothering you but i mean it it goes to show i mean you you pull off a podium performance after i mean running another 70 kilometers or whatever it was on a bum calf and finishing third place and under 23 hours at that very difficult 100 mile race i mean it shows you the toughness and consistency of, of get a menace. How did the race, uh, did, did it feel like it was, cause I've heard, uh, that it was, a, it's a fantastic event. And obviously now as an Asian major on the UTMB world series, did it live up to that, uh, designation? Do you think? I think it's like nice run and, uh, it's kind of suits my strength. It's kind of a Western state, you know, of Thailand, it, because you don't see much, uh, surroundings because basically you're running during the night. Yeah. Uh, but what's I'm comparing with Western state because it's kind of a single trails, wide trails, you know, all more or less runnable. And this is what, uh, kind of upset me because like, I'm usually good at that. It's like long, like, you know, like, uh, not huge, great uphills because I'm running and usually I'm passing the people there and this time I couldn't run, uh, but you are not going high to the mountains. Yeah. So basically we see nothing. You see just like the road and the forest, you know, so it's not like super beautiful, like the Mont Blanc race, you know, or yeah, like yeah. Uh, but it's like suits my strength, you know, and it's hot race, you know, like, I, I don't know, like the heat was maybe like 35 degrees or 40 degrees, you know, with a high humidity. And this yeah. is what they like, you know, and this is why I chose this race, you know, and, uh, yeah, but like, it's very well organized, you know, like it's one of the best organized races, you know, everything well marked, you know, so it's kind of like really deserves to be the, the majors of, of, of Asia. Sweet. So another thing I'd love to hear you talk about, get a menace is the importance of your family as it relates to your athletic career. Cause it seems like you guys travel together oftentimes as a unit. And I know, you know, as a father of two growing boys yourself that you probably want to give show a good example to them as to what they can accomplish in their lives. I'd just love to hear you talk about the significance of family in your athletic career. It's like super, you know, like, uh, we're like kind of part of my career, you know, because when I started to run, like we had like super young, you know, and like Ginter supported me all the time, you know, like 100%, you know, she, 
gave up her job, you know, just uh, to let me do what I want. So and I'm super grateful for that. And I mean, all the races with Tukawa boys, you know, from the very, very young ages. And, you know, maybe I made a, a small mistakes, you know, when, but I think like who doesn't, uh, but they tried to kind of force at the beginning them to be the runners, you know, in their future, <laughs> uh, which, which they totally disagree, you know, and, but, you know, like, I learned that, you know, by heart, you know, they showed me like a few times that we don't want to pursue this career. So, you yeah. know, like, so, and I'm kind of okay with that, you know, like, but my job, like a parent, I wanted to show what, that the mountains exist, you know, what, um, uh, life in the mountains is you know uh what you can experience you know no matter if you're a hiker or runner or you just like hanging out there and i think my my both sons they love mountains they younger a little bit more than the elder one uh because currently like i don't know like i'm considering them more like my brothers like the uh sons you know because we're kind of the same height, you know, uh, same clever, you know, having our own ideas, you know, one son pursues, you know, goalkeeper career, another, uh, not sure yet what about, you know, they, we love to be in the mountains, yeah. especially the young one, you know, and next week we are going to Liguria, you know, for the, some goalkeeper training, you know, to spend some time in the mountains. So, so I don't know, you know, in the past, when we were younger, we have no choice. They were like, just come here. We going in the car, you know, and we're driving and we're doing the race, we're supporting, cheering, you know. And for me, it was much easier because I was not running, you know, from aid station to aid station. I was running from aid station to my family, you know, to my family, to my family, you know. And when it's like 100 mile races, you know, became much easier to handle, you know, because it was like basically 16 times more or less, you know, to your family and the race is done, you know, so it's easier for your mind. And, you know, when you do something for the people who you love, you know, and what they do for you, you know, they create like really positive energy, you know, around you. And even the smiles, which we're exchanging, you know, the hugs, which are exchanging, you know, like pushing you through, you know, through the tough moments and tough moments is kind of inevitable in the ultra race. So we hugely contributed, you know, to my racing career, like, let's say till the, 2017 yeah and after that you know we decided that they don't want to do it anymore you know we prefer to go to the spain for football camp you know to croatia with friends you know while i'm in Austria, and you know to invite them to support me it's become uh much more difficult yeah? Yeah. and Ginter as well she uh, kind of uh, uh contributed herself now for the education you know and being more at home than i do uh, so it's kind of changed, yeah. But the yeah. beginning of career is like was super important, and even now, you know, to do the good in the races, I'm trying to to invite them, you know, uh, and the most important events, if we can, usually they're traveling with me and like uh, uh, giving me uh, good vibes and energy. Yeah, but yeah. it's a little bit changed, you know. Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, it's it's fun to follow along on your Instagram. You do a great job of showing how your family, you know, is included in all the the trips and accomplishments that you have. And it seems like um, you guys share a really special bond. And as a new father, it's uh, it's fun for me to talk about with, with you. So let's finish by talking about what's next for you. Obviously, you're coming back into your own now. You're healthy. You're coming off a great podium finish at the Thailand 100-mile race. 
I'm sure you're taking a little bit of an off season now looking ahead towards 2023. What are you excited about for next year? Actually, I'll start the next year where I left. So in February, I'm going to Thailand to do this like another race uh, by UTMB, Amazian oh, Jungle. Oh, yeah, that, the new one. Okay. Yeah, it's kind of like, I think it's like second or third year, uh, which we're uh, throwing it. But I think it will be more like adventure. The one which I did like this year in Guadalupe, because it's kind of jungles, you know, snakes, like more heat, more humidity, you know, and like a lot of bushwagging, mud, like if it's raining. And what I heard is like, sometimes it's not very runnable, you know, so it's kind of suits my style and it will be more like adventure to explore the south. Uh, because this like in Hanon was in the north, so I'm like heading to the south, you know, and like I'll be exploring like Thailand and a little bit Malaysia. Yeah, this is where the race goes. Uh, so this is where I'll kick my 2023 season. Yeah, but of course, like the main goal for me is like now UTMB. Uh, as I earned the place, you know, so kind of um, I have a focus. And I did UTMB like many, 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 many times you know and i think in like 2017 or 18 i said okay it's the last time because i like how many times i can do that but kind of in 2021 i guess i was there you know and i was almost crying seeing these guys running you know and i said okay i need to accomplish another one UTB, and i tried this year but unsuccessfully yeah i had like it's like i had like the problem which is like very strange you know like in my life i have like blisters like on the race like twice uh-huh. and it was but it was the same race it was utmb 2015 and utmb 2022 the same place going to san Gervais, you know on this like like yeah. a little bit steep, steep downhill but i don't know why you know and this year I was running there and I kind of felt this like heat under the soul. I said, oh, mama, me, I know what is going to happen, you know. And the first time, you know, in 2015, it's funny, I ran till Trent or Valorcine and I dropped there. I was still in top 10, you know, there, but like I couldn't, like, like yeah, I yeah. killed my my quads because of a change of biomechanics because I switch all the weight, you know, on the toes, you know, and this is what happens. You know how it is. Yeah. And this year... I mean, this year I said, okay, I'm not going to play the same game. And I stopped after like 70 or 60K, you know, because I, I felt the same symptoms and I said, okay, I can suffer, but it just makes no sense. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So the big goal for 23 is UTMB. You know, I want to do it like kind of good race, you know, and then to say bye-bye to UTMB, you know, in, in Chamonix. So, <laughs> so, so hopefully like 2023 will be, will be the year. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. hopefully I'll be standing on the start line next year. It'd be good fun to do that. <laughs> yeah, I think it'll be. And um, and yeah, I'll do some shorter. Ah, actually, you know, like uh, most likely the, the decision is still pending, but 99% of the time coming to canyons in in US. Oh, yeah? but, awesome. Uh, yeah, because this is very major for North America. You know, the Vibram will be there from North America, and some guys are coming, you know, from, from Europe as well. Uh, I said to my coach that I make a final decision, you know, after the Thailand race. Uh, but currently, I think that everything will be cool, you know. I'm already looking for the tickets, you know, to San Francisco, and like, I want to really <laughs> yes. do, you know, opposite course, you know, to have more uphill running rather than downhill running. Yeah, like, yeah, uh, yeah. Will you do the Will you do the hundred miler or will you do the hundred k? Yeah. 
Now I'll do a miler. Like uh, I'm one of my head miler guy, you know, like Jeff Browning, you know, yeah, yeah. totally. Are you going to be there as well? Well, I mean, I, I would plan to be, it is in my backyard now, of course, Harmony and I just moved back down to California. So I would be, it would be, uh, unwise for me to not be in attendance. I, I won't be running the hundred miler. That's for sure. But, uh, it would be good to connect while you're here in, uh, in the U S and in California, but, uh, get a minute. It's great to have you, you know, back on top in the sport. And yeah, I mean, we've known each other for a long time, but yeah, it's great to have you on the podcast. I appreciate you coming on, sharing so much about your story. Thank you, Dylan, you know, and hopefully see you in Auburn, right? <laughs> see you in offer. <laughs> yeah. Big thanks to Get A Menace. What a cool guy. What an incredible story. Hope you go follow him on Instagram. I put a link in the show notes. Make sure you click through and smash that follow button on his profile free trail pro members hop in slack and holler at your boy what'd you think about get and his amazing contributions to the pod let me know in the free trail podcast channel if you're not a member of free trail pro we would love to have you of course visit freetrail.com or visit the link in the show notes to sign up it's only ten dollars a month or 96 dollars for the entire year and there is a free trial so please do come check it out if you need a coach that's another opportunity to check us out too. Free Trail Experts, a star-studded group of multidisciplinary specialists to help you smash your goals and be the best version of yourself out on the trails. Visit a link in the show notes for more information. Big thank you to our sponsors who make the show possible. Speedland, run speedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 on the GS TAM. Gnarly Nutrition, best nutrition in the game. Visit gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. Best Day Brewing. Dry January is coming to a close, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to keep the momentum going. Big thanks to Best Day for this great partnership this month. Visit bestdaybrewing.com. Use code DRY20 for 20% off. It would mean a lot if you do support the brands who support us. It is important. We need them in order to exist. So please do check them out when you're in the market for great new products. Okay. That's it for now. Thank you guys all so much for listening. Love you mucho. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.